I also love it just when I hear something true. Like Andrew was reminding us at the beginning of this service. Come on, you know, it's who we are in Christ. He is for us, not against us. All these kinds of things. I don't, I don't care how many times I hear it. I nearly always need to hear, come on, cut the stinking thinking. God loves you. He's for you, not against you. And I don't know, I could hear that five times a week for the rest of my life and still enjoy it every single time. Is there anybody in the room? And so there's different kinds of sermons, isn't there? There's new stuff, which we love, it's stimulating. And there's true stuff, which is fantastic and we need. I want to do something even different to those two. Not just new, I love that. Not just true, I love that. But can I say even more important? And you're all sitting there going, more important than true? I mean, new, I get. We don't always need new, but we always need true. But there's something even more important than true, and it's do. Oh, yeah, true, good, new, fascinating. You call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say. So I'm aiming for do today. It's going to be true. It might not be new. It might be new to some of you. But maybe the new bit out of what I want to share today is the fact that we go and do some of the stuff that I'm talking about. The most important thing is that we do do. I said do do in public, Zach. He always gets me every single time. We're not allowed to. If anybody said we can be in the most, I think we were in a school interview the other week and the teacher said, the things that you, that you do do, and Zach looked at me as if to say, is this an appropriate time to burst out laughing? No, it's not. It's not. Not just now. As soon as we walked out, we all went, she said, do do in public. The things that we do are the things that really matter because they're the only things that we genuinely recognize as true. We can recognize things as, as pleasant and helpful and probably true to someone else, but it's what we do are the real truths in our lives. And so I just want to talk about uh, what, we, what we do for a little bit. And, I, you know, it's not just going to be challenging. I hope it's going to be encouraging because I hope to slightly redefine your life. Wouldn't it be great to find out that with tiny adjustments you could have a massive, impactful change in your life. Do you know it's really easy as a preacher to make a congregation feel guilty? So easy. I could talk about prayer. Shall I talk about it? And how many of you don't come to the prayer meeting? I could make you feel guilty. See, I've already done it, and I, I'm only joking. And you still... I could, I could talk about... Um, well, well, it's all over the Bible, isn't it? There's all kinds of things I could bring up, and we can make people guilty in a moment. How's about making us feel empowered? You know, you know, guilt and conviction have a place. I mean, it, did, was anybody a Christian in the 70s like me or the 80s? You could go to any youth meeting and make them all cry instantaneously. You just talk about thinking dirty thoughts and you've got all the boys up the front crying before Jesus. And I mean, the, the days of conviction, maybe we do need a little bit more of the fear of the Lord. But what I'm aiming at here is not to make you feel guilty. I want to get us empowered. Because listen, we are not here uh, to sing a few songs, say a few prayers, tick a box, as, as I think Andrew said last week, or was it Chris, or both maybe the last couple of weeks. Um, we are here as missionaries, gathering as a team before we go out for another six and a half days to go change the world. Yeah. And we come from all walks of life. We have all kinds of experiences. And 
people that our lives rub up against. And I want to hopefully, by the end of my two-hour treaties that I'm going to share with you, it won't be, don't worry. If you're lucky, it'll be 20 minutes because it's nice and warm. And I'm feeling shortness come upon me at the moment. Because a barbecue sounds like fun. But I hope to get us to the place where we realize I'm not a church attender. I'm not even a church member. I'm a missionary. And that's the doing that we need. I, everybody whisper it. Come on, say it to yourself. Even though I know after you don't believe it, I am a missionary. You've been sent by God. So, where do you think we're going? Great commission, right? See, it's, it's true. And so, but we want to turn it from true into do this morning a little bit if we can. So, end of Matthew and the end of Mark. Let me read uh, the Great Commission. Uh, it's not the great suggestion, as some would say. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, it's not the great suggestion. It is a command to every single one of us, the Great Commission. Uh, but you could say that perhaps for some it's the great omission. Oh, I'm being clever this morning, aren't I? That it's the one thing that we leave out. Here's a thought. James 4.17 says that when you know the right thing to do and you do not do it, it's a sin. So to not do the Great Commission is a sin that needs repenting of. So, hey, what happened to that? The spirit of shortness came on my lectern as well. Look at it. Did anybody watch it slowly go down behind me or something like that? I just said it and it happened. That's the power of confession. Maybe I should change my word. Nobody come and help me. Don't worry, I'll do it myself. Can't get the staff. I think I'm there. Okay, so let's read it. Matthew 28. We're at the very end. Jesus' final words um, before he was resurrected, many believe, or certainly close to it. All authority, verse 18, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, and then uh, at the end of Mark, it's, it's Mark's version of the same moment. Jesus said to them in Mark 16, verse, need me better glasses on, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not harm them at all. They'll place their hands on sick people and they will get well. I love these passages. They're, they're, it's so clear what Jesus wanted the church to look like. Amen. And um, here's a thought. In Matthew's version of the Great Commission, he kind of promises presence when you do it. I will be with you to the end of the age, right? So, so in Matthew's version, he's promising presence. In Mark's version, he's promising what that presence will do. You'll, you'll pick up snakes like Paul did when he got onto the island and his hand was bitten and it didn't harm him at all. And, and they all thought, he's a god, he wasn't harmed by the viper. Or you'll drink deadly poison, it will not harm you. The presence of God brings protection. It's almost like Psalm 91, isn't it? Uh, that there'll be protection when 
you walk and do the Great Commission? Have you ever thought that these promises in the Great Commission of the presence and the protection of God might actually be conditional? The protection and the presence of God in Psalm 91 is conditional. He who dwells in the presence, in the shelter of the Most High God will rest in the shadow. And it goes on and on and on through the areas of protection. Um, Maybe, just maybe, the, the Great Commission has a conditional part to it that if we want to fully enjoy the presence of God and fully enjoy the protection of God we need to fully obey the command of God I I think that's pretty scriptural don't you I, I don't think you can live any old way and claim presence and protection I think that's all over the Bible and here's the thing that Jesus says to his disciples got any disciples here this morning here's the thing he says when he looks them in the eyes and he says right this is what I want you to do go into all the world and hold church services no he doesn't say that go into all the world and gather in nice cozy clubs he doesn't say that this sounds far more adventurous and dangerous and fun because we're going to need him with us and we're going to need protection go into all the world Preach the gospel. Make disciples of entire nations. That's what we're here to do, right? Make disciples of entire nations. And then he lists all these things. You'll drive out demons and poison won't harm you and snakes won't harm you. And trust me, you'll meet a few snakes, right? You will. And sometimes they're not even animals, right? They're just the people that you meet along the way. But God is with us as we go with him. I think it was Ray McCauley always used to say, I'm safer on a battleground, or in his case, downtown Johannesburg in the middle of a gunfight. I am safer in God's will than in the safety of my home outside of God's will. And so every one of us are called to go. Now, I know, work with me for a minute, we've been kind of sharing some radical truths, you might say, or some confrontational truths from the the platform for, well, a good long while, really, and it's been building up and building up as we we talk about, you know, phrases like, the show is over, we want to be real church, we want to go, you know, deeper and further. Um, Can I just nudge that reality for a minute because you might think wow the the guys at the front lately are pretty down and everything that we used to do um can, can I say that's that's not really the case what's going on is that layer upon layer God adds truths to what he's revealing and we have to keep adjusting with the next thing God says was it wrong to gather in the way we've gathered for years of course not it was what God was saying at the time to do Uh, God was telling us to gather, I have to say, five, ten years ago, attractional church models where it was big bands and lights, camera action, were working as a model. Lots of people were getting saved. People were being discipled into faith. But everywhere I know globally, and this is the world that people like me and other leaders in the church live in, we're listening to what is being talked around the world right now. And almost as a chorus in union, people are going, okay, we, we have to gather. It is good if the music is better rather than bad. Anybody with me? Right? We don't want to look like an awful mess. But the reality is, Though that was good and God at the time, he's now saying, so now can we go a a level deeper 
And in every model, admit the bits that aren't working, but then push forward into the next thing with God. But can I say, <laughs> we're not going to abandon everything about gathering together or, or doing events that look good or ever doing a concert again and stuff like that. Love all that kind of thing. But it's got to be in an, the appropriate place, in the appropriate amount. Who likes potatoes? I like potatoes. Anybody like chips? Right, Hands up if chips are your favorite kind of potato. Okay, hands up for roasties. Hands up for crisps. Right? Potatoes are good, right? And you weirdos that don't like them will have an altar call for you at the end, strange people. But here's the thing. Every now and then, do you, do you meet... Some of you may have ne- never met anyone like this, but I have. You meet people that live solely on potatoes. I eat roasties, boiled potatoes, chips, and crisps. And you go, okay, potatoes are good. But then you want to look at them and go, potatoes are bad. As in, add to your diet. And just let me emphasize for a moment what we're talking about at the moment, even though it comes with the good exaggeration, as, as I think as Brennan Manning used to say, and every good truth needs a healthy exaggeration to ram it home. And that there is some healthy exaggeration going on at the moment as we emphasize, come on, we've got to push into the next thing with God. But it is not rubbishing everything that's gone on before at all. It is saying we need to add to our diet the next thing God is saying. And we've been enjoying the roasties. Keep the roasties on your plate. Maybe a few less if that's all you're living on. And now it's time for a bit of broccoli. (laughs) But we are adding truth upon truth. We're not rubbishing our past. Can I make that really clear? Can I tell you why? Because we're going to do attractional events again. We're going to do conferences and Sundays and have fun. And, And I don't want everybody that's volunteering as a steward to turn around and say, but you said these kind of events were wrong. We're not doing them. They're sin. We should repent of them. No, no, no. No, wrong emphasis. We are just adding to the diet. Okay? And so I think, even though it sounds extreme in the lives of people like me, actually, to... Yeah, average people is going to feel like minor adjustments that make a big change. That's what I pray. And so we're heading into a whole series of what will actually, to most people, feel like minor adjustments that I hope release more effectivity or certainly stop any smothering of effectivity as we move forward as a church. Right, back to the Great Commission. Because I just keep coming back and back and back to this. And I just want to say, to you know, we've been singing to Yeshua, haven't we, this morning? It's beautiful. It's, it, it's romantic. It's lovely. But when he, he looks at you with those eyes, I want to say, God, I don't want to say, Lord, Lord, Yeshua, Yeshua. But actually not do the thing he's saying to do. Yeah. And so these are pivotal words in the Bible. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and all that kind of stuff. Amen? So listen, it isn't the great suggestion. Do you know that 47% of Christian millennials think that it's wrong to share your faith with someone else? Nearly half of millennial Christians think it's abusing someone to share your faith as superior to theirs. So, hence why I'm back to the Great Commission. It's what Jesus said to do. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to God through Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus, not your works that's going to save you. 
But this is the gospel. This is the good news. If it just sits alongside everything else, it ain't good news at all. Because it means that Jesus himself was being deceptive. Now, he's either a liar or a madman or he's absolutely the truth come to earth that we must share with the world. Maybe we've lost our sense of the belief of hell that we don't realize our neighbors, our families, according to Jesus, are going to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth if we do not share the gospel. The gospel must be shared. Thank you. That was awesome applause and really loud amens as everybody started to feel a little uncomfortable because somebody's preaching a bit of truth. This isn't therapy. This is theology. This isn't therapy. I, I don't care if you like me or not. Every preacher has to get beyond that. My interest is, can I mobilize? Oh, maybe three more missionaries this morning. Can I mobilize four more people to realize my business, my family, my work, my street, the, the, the youth group that I go to, the club, the hobbies that I have. They are my missional communities to go to. Maybe I could wake up three just to say, yes, I'm a missionary. I'm anointed by God. As anointed as the guy at the front, as anointed as Reinhard was to reach Africa, you are anointed to reach a classroom, a sixth form, a, a hairdressing client. You are anointed. Thank you. So here's my questions. So... Go, make disciples, baptizing them. So here's my first question to kind of nudge you towards whether you're fulfilling the Great Commission or not. And you may find it takes less change than you thought. So here's my first question, important question. So where are you going? If he said go, where are you going? If you're not going anywhere, you need to repent. You need to be going. Now, we all love the big stories, you know, the, 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 the fun stories. A, a friend of mine was a, uh, a, a, an apostle in South Africa, and his wife had just died, and he's walking through uh, Pretoria one evening. Sort of guy that always dressed in a suit, big donkey choker of a Bible under his arm. Proper man of God, you know what I mean? Not like me preaching in cutoffs and things like that. And, uh, and he's walking through, and he's walking past the nightclub, and as, as he walks past the nightclub, God says to him, go into the nightclub. And his response to God was, I've never been in a den of iniquity in my life, and I don't intend to start now. Thank you very much. But God nagged him there on the street in Pretoria. And eventually he walked into the nightclub and he stands on the edge of the dance floor. And there's all the noise going on around about and the flashing lights in the dark. And he looks out and in the middle of the dance floor is a young woman who looks what she is. She's a prostitute. And she's dancing. And as he stood overlooking the dance floor, God says to him, go and dance with that woman. I mean, this guy's kind of, you know, heading in his 70s sort of thing. Just bereaved, well-known in South Africa. And he's like, God, I, I, what do you mean go dance? And he argues with God on the edge of the dance floor. And eventually he walks across and dances like only a granddad can dance with the woman in the middle of the dance floor. And as he's dancing away like all granddads do, 
uh, God says, ask her if she wants a drink. Now, of course, he's dying inside. And, and he shouts, would you like a drink? Pardon? Would you like a drink? Oh, okay. And they walk over to the bar at the side, and he ordered her whatever she asked for. And he, he told me he asked for a glass of milk. I don't know if he ever got it. But, uh, and there at the, at the bar, at the side of the nightclub, they begin to talk. And, and he works out quite quickly what she is and what she does, should we say. And... Um, and he says, look, I, I think God sent me here. I'm not after your services, but I think God sent me into this place just for you. Can we meet tomorrow, maybe somewhere public, like a coffee shop? And I'd love to tell you the story of Jesus, and I'd love to hear your story. And so they met the next day in a coffee shop, and out came all the story of her drug abuse and rape and abuse and other things, and how she ended up in a life of prostitution. And then he shares the story of Jesus. And as he does, there's tears streaming down his face and her face. And there in the little coffee shop in Pretoria, she gives her life to Jesus. And the work begins that sees hundreds of prostitutes saved in Pretoria. Uh, I love those stories, don't you? I mean, I want to be that guy, don't you? And you're, no, come on, let's be honest. Three quarters of no, not really. <laughs> Sounds a bit much. <laughs> Or it could be like Belinda from our Ghoul campus uh, driving up to York one time and she drives past a car in a lay-by and God just says in her heart, stop and tell the person in the car that I love them. And she does what we all would probably do. She drives straight past. But she's not half a mile up the road, still feeling the conviction of God grip her heart stronger and stronger. So in the end, she turns around and said, okay, God, but if that person's still there, when I drive back, I'll, I'll knock on the window and say, God loves you. And so she got up, and yes, the car was still there. She pulled up behind and got out, and she could see it was a woman sat in the driver's seat. She walked up to the driver's seat, knocked on the window, and, and uh, it's not an old story, so it's the, the window came down. And uh, she just said, I know you don't know who I am, but I just felt God tell me to tell you that he loves you. And the woman in the seat began to break down. She was a backslidden Christian who was not walking with God or going to church at the time. Her father, I think it was, had just died. And all she needed to hear was somebody remind her, God loves you. Go. Here's the thing about the word go. We kind of think, oh, okay, go. So go I, go, I go to the dentist, I go to school, I go to work, and then I go for Jesus. But that's not what the word go means in this context. It means as you are going in everything you do, be making disciples and baptizing people into Christ. In everything you do, go. So my question to you this morning is, where are you going? And it doesn't have to be into a nightclub in Pretoria. It doesn't have to be a grand story. It's everywhere you go where you meet people, begin to think of yourself as a missionary. Begin to think of yourself as someone who's reaching out to others. It is a lifestyle of going with the gospel and everyone you meet, you disciple. Don't, disciples aren't people who've raised their hand in a church service. Come on, make 
disciples. Not make decisions. I do think we've fallen foul to the, how many hands can we get in the air? Let's make it a nice big number. And everybody is great. The church is alive. When actually churches that have been doing that over the last few years, and this is the thing that everybody is working through globally, especially in the Western church right now, is that all the hands in the air don't mean disciples. It might mean something, and it might mean a lot to some and virtually nothing to others. It's amazing how people can get transformed and healed by Jesus and still they won't go anywhere near a church have you found that it's remarkable what Jesus does for people and they still walk away and refuse to be disciples but everywhere you go it's not that we disciple Christians it's that we disciple nations so when you stand at the front of that class and you talk to those students you're making disciples when you interact with that waitress or waiter Make a disciple of the waiter or the waitress serving you. Find out something about their life. See if you can get an inroad to just share something of the gospel. Everything we do is going. First question is, where are you going? And I want you to think of it this week as you drive to work, as you walk to work, as you get on the bus, as you walk into that ward, that classroom, that shop, you are going with the gospel of Jesus Christ every single moment as you go so then there's a second one he said make disciples here's my second question because we're heading for do today right we're heading for what do you do I want to ask you and 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 I and I hope you begin the little gray cells begin to work now so who are your disciples if you're not discipling anyone you're sinning we've worked that one out all right easy to make people feel guilty I think you're going to find you are maybe I just want you to stop calling them students friends family for a moment at least stop calling them those 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 work colleagues maybe if you turned up to work and went ah (laughs) you could try this verbally couldn't you tomorrow walk into the office and say ah my disciples Come on, when Paula's in the salon and somebody sits down to get the haircut, she could, instead of going, hello, my client, she could go, hello, my disciple. <laughs> Captive audience, while I cut your hair, you're going to get Jesus. Come on, grandkids, kids. While some disciple nations, I think, I think Leonie's off to, is she in Sweden right now? She's off to Sweden, but she's just come back from Moldova, where again, the government there has have implemented three of her suggestions. She was given an award by the government. Oh, and just so you know, we gave £6,000 to one particular project for traumatized orphans uh, just this week to invest into some of the work over there that she's doing. But as well, UNICEF are investing millions into the work going on. You can disciple nations. Like David Taylor and Darry in Colombia. But how's about as well being like Susanna Wesley, the mum of Charles and John? Who are my disciples? Well, mate, come on. I want you to not think, oh, I'm just a wrung out mum bringing up some kids. No, you got disciples. It's not, how can I just kind of get control and then hopefully they turn out okay and then we bung them out of the house. No, you've got disciples. I'm teaching them how to pray, how to seek God, how to understand provision, how to understand the Bible, how, how, how to begin to get the first flicker of their own relationship with God going, your kids are not your kids, they're your disciples. Your parents. Let's move right along, shall we? But we've got people that our lives rub up against. (laughs) 
some of the people that irritate you most, God wants you to put on discipleship glasses instead of consumer glasses. We have consumer friendships. You're good to me, I'm good to you. We have consumer waitresses and staff. They're good to me, I'm good to them. How's about we think of every interaction as a potential disciple in the making? It's like spending. Do you know, in tough financial times, we need to start thinking differently. I, 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 I don't mind going to a business and putting money in. Do you know why? Because I don't think of it as spending. I don't spend, I invest. It depends where your money goes and the attitude of, am I going to invest into this thing or not? It's the same with people, disciples. I'm training them and raising them in the things of God. Can you imagine being Susanna Wesley and knowing from the balcony of heaven that you've raised those two boys, one that shook the world with his preaching and the other one that still shakes the world with his songs. Wow, how incredible is that? Disciple people who aren't saved. There's there's a a lovely... um, Picture. We often think of salvation as this moment, but in reality, and it's probably true for many of you, it's more like a journey with a few important posts along the way. Our job is just to keep moving people along in their journey. It's not to leap and try and be Reinhard, is it? So who are you discipling? And yes, school kids in school classrooms, you can disciple friends in the school. And so, right, I'm not trying to rush you to the point of, you know, the classic Christian thing. I must get them on their knees, hands clasped, saying the sinner's prayer. No, actually, it's far deeper than that. It's taking the journey of uh, share your life with me, then share your faith with me, and then share Jesus with me. And as we take people along the journey, who are your disciples? We've all got them without ever having to move to another nation or start a project, you've got disciples. And if we walk out of this room going, right, now I'm a missionary to my household, my neighbors, my workplace, my school, my university, how things could change if we step out discipling nations. Amen? And then the last one is so how are you baptizing? It, the word baptize we know is immerse. Here's an interesting thought about as, as we do this. Uh, we baptize in water. There's going to be a water baptism up in Driffield uh, this afternoon, three o'clock. Three o'clock. There's going to be a baptism in Kingswood on the 14th of August, is it? Uh, at four o'clock. Um, I, I, I love water baptism. I love to get people wet. And if they're particularly naughty, I love to hold them all under for longer till the bubbles stop because you kind of think, no, you need to. Because what is baptism doing? It's symbol. Don't worry, I won't be baptizing this afternoon, any of you that are getting baptized. But there are some naughty people I've held under for, for a long, long time. And, and then brought them up and thought, no, it's not all done. Back they're down. Down they go again. Because back, here's the thing. Jesus said, go. So this movement, we're going to reach some people outside of this room. This, this isn't church. This is a gathering of, 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 of church to go, isn't it? And, and make disciples. That's to teach people. But notice he says, he doesn't say just to teach people. That's too soft. He says to teach them to obey. Not very trendy. 
That means there must be, what we're looking for is the death of something and a raising to life of something else. That's what the water baptism symbolizes, the death and the resurrection. But it's true in all the immersions because there's more than one immersing, more than one baptizing in the Bible. Isn't there? There's loads of them. And I want you to think of what you do is you're getting hold of people and immersing them into the things of God. What for? So they die to one way of life and raise up to a new way of life. There has to be a moment, oh, I'm going to stop doing that. Can I, can I just say, this is the difficult bit, that in discipleship, there does come a moment where, well, it's a bit like fishing. If you throw bread on the water, you're not fishing, you're just gathering fish. But the moment you put a hook out there, you're fishing. And it's the same with discipleship. There has to come a moment where you go, you know what? Maybe it's best you stop doing that and start doing this. And it, it can be ever so subtle. Sometimes it is with an instruction. Sometimes it's just watching the Holy Spirit do his work and see a baptism take place. There was once a young lad uh, that my brother started taking to church over in the Lake District. And he swore like a trooper. Just a disgusting uh, mouth. And, and drank too much and slept around and all these sorts of things. But he gave his life to Jesus. And so my brother's now his new best friend discipling him. And he's discipling him thinking, right, the first thing that some people in this room would want to do is sit them down and give them a discipleship course. Week one, stop swearing. Because we think it's the most important thing. Week two, stop drinking. Week three, stop sleeping around. Right? But actually my brother felt his discipleship. Watch the Holy Spirit do his work. Just love him. And stay consistent with your morality and your beliefs and your position. But just watch the Holy Spirit, the convictor at work. See, if we're wise disciples, sometimes we have to say nothing. We just have to consistently be ourselves. It was a matter of weeks before he started to say things like, you know, I've watched you and I am drinking too much and yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to change my lifestyle in the area of drinking. Ah, I've listened to you. Y you guys don't swear, do you? Not said a thing. I think I'm going to stop swearing. Ah, you know what? I, I can just see in the Christian way of life, there's something more stable than sleeping around. I think I'm, I think I'm going to stop that and I'm going to change what I'm doing with my life. And there was never an instruction but there was, I held my place consistently. Listen, if you hold your place consistently in the workplace, in school, uh, among friends, if you hold your standards, eventually the world will soften to you and click into your place. Let's not give up our standards, right? Let's not fall to the millennium saying, well, half of us believe that we shouldn't be sharing the gospel. Half of us believe that maybe with this should be a, a, a nod and a wink and it's okay to same-sex marriage. Half of us think that, well, you know, morality is a kind of a fluid thing and gender's a fluid thing. No, 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 no. Hold your place. Know what the Bible says. This is the generation that reads the Bible the least and is making catastrophic decisions of anarchic morality that is leading the world to mental crisis just stand your ground 
You, you, it's okay to say, I, I hold traditional family values. And while I can see the whole world is broken and we need to show a lot of love, I still believe that this 5,000-year-old Judeo-Christian book that shares a morality that is the best way to build civilization and has given us the Western world, turned us all from Afghanistan into the world of the West that we know. There is a generation that wants to pull the rug from under us. Listen, stand by your convictions it's the most loving thing you can do stop a child going to play with the traffic of course you do stop someone about to mess up their mental health by messing around with the ridiculous thinking we're not even quite sure what a woman is anymore no there is some real counter maneuvers going on around the world right now isn't there I mean the abortion thing has just exploded and it's messy but here's the thing that we can quietly do. I think most of us aren't born for the soapbox, but you can quietly in your everyday life live a life of Christian morality. Jesus said, teach them to obey. So let's show them how to obey. Let's show them that marriage is better. Let's show them that virginity is good. Let's show them that it's, it's right to try and follow Jesus in all the difficult commands that he said. Right? And actually, I think what we generally discover is that the loud voices of our current culture are a real minority. And you will find that the vast majority still believe in Christian values, just too scared to say it anymore. I think it's about time us as Christians, well, should I say this? I don't know. Are we allowed to become the offended ones and say, actually, the moral anarchy around the world that's being shoved down our kids' throat at the moment offends me? And it's about time we had some court cases about the offence and the abuse of what it's doing to our kids, which is going to affect a generation. It's time to get back to the Augustine thinking of you don't have to believe everything you feel or respond to everything that you're attracted to. You are not a bundle of feelings. You're God's child. You're God's creation. You were born in his image. And so actually it's really quite simple. Lose yourself in him and life will begin to make sense. Try to pick over your feelings and your attractions and your thoughts. You are only going to go deeper and deeper into the broken sinfulness of humanity. And you won't come out sane, you'll come out insane. And even many brilliant people through history have found that. But this one Jew that changed the world... Made it real simple. And, and he spoke of very tight moral codes. Yeah. Teach the world to obey. On a soapbox, probably not for most of us. But in everyday life, it's okay to lose a friend over, actually, I believe in traditional family values. It's okay. We, we, we're not going to win the world by going, well, maybe, maybe not. Let's stick with what Christ, our Messiah, taught us to teach. Yeah. And he will be with us to the end of the age. You see, we're not trying to love them into the kingdom. We're trying to baptize them. So what are you really subtly trying to do to your friends? Right, they believe all sorts of nonsense. All sorts of craziness. They read way too much TikTok. I know, you watch TikTok, don't you? Shows up today, I am. Um, they, they, they're, they're listening to nonsense, right. So what are we actually trying to do? Just go, well, you're lovely just the way you are. No, 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 you're not. You're a broken sinner like the rest of us. Come here. I'm going to immerse you in the way Jesus thinks. And let's see what that does. Might just make you the most joyful human being on the planet. 
And what are we subtly trying to do through our discipleship? Hold them under till the bubbles stop. In other words, it's love and truth in real tension. But don't you give up truth just because somebody's making you feel bad or making you feel like you don't have compassion. Actually telling children not to play on a motorway is the most compassionate thing you can do. Telling a world not to go to ridiculous places uh, mentally or morally is the most loving thing we can do. So let's immerse the world around about us in truth and love, in truth and grace, in truth and kindness. And here's probably a big one, in truth and patience, truth and long-suffering. We're not going to change, but we'll we'll, we'll keep loving you. We're not going to change what we believe, but we're going to stay patient with you. We're not going to change what we believe, but I hope you can taste nothing but grace. I love it when people come up to me and talk about the whole transgender thing and and, and gay rights and all this stuff. It's very interesting conversations right now. Of course, the first thing I love to tell them is, yeah, there was a guy who I met. First time I met him, he was wearing a black leather miniskirt. He was wearing a black leather miniskirt and his breasts were beginning to grow. And that night, he gave his life to Christ and came and lived with me for nine months. God loves gay people. God understands the confusion going on in transgender people. So it's not that we're wagging a finger from a soapbox. But I watched that young man transform in the presence of love and grace and truth. But he had to accept, I will go through the baptism before me, that this is how God wants me to live. And yet this is what some of the abuse and the pain of my history has left me with feelings of. And work those through. We're here to love the lost. Amen? Didn't think I was going to get onto all of this. So how are we immersing the world with love and truth? Stand up for what you believe. There is a danger as slowly more, you know, the, the, the Methodists are, are accepting now of same-sex marriage. And that's, all these things are increasing uh, through usually churches that are, are, are um, more in their uh, difficult stage of their development, shall we say. It's at the more of the, the tail end. And so open up to other things in the hope that it will fill the pews once again. But listen, let me, the church of Jesus Christ is not going to change its theology or its morality. It shouldn't have to. We, we can have, even though I know <laughs> every one of us in this room will have messed up in some ways, we can still be strong outposts. This is what happened in history. They created monasteries that were outposts of the kingdom of God until the craziness has passed and they reappeared again and transformed society. And it may be that for a season the church lives as an outpost of a place where virginity is still treasured, where marriage is still honored, where family is still considered the biblical building block for society. We can prosper in our hearts. <laughs> And let's get rid of some of the catastrophizing in our culture right now. A little bit of heat. I said to Zach the other week, so what do they teach you about global warming in school? That we're all going to (laughs) die. Catastrophizing has become the way of the world right now. Let's not be shaken. 
by the silliness. It's not even of the world, it's just of media. They're just trying to grab your attention to sell you adverts. We are the commodity that they're trying to buy. They want to buy your attention, so the more red alert, the first red alert ever in history, red alert was only started in 2021. Let's walk sanely in a mad world, baptized in the truth of Jesus. I mean, if there's one do that, oh, that if we walked out this room, is, is another one. Let's read your Bible. And if you struggle with reading, I mean, I've got a fantastic app that takes me through the Bible every year, just listening to it, just to soak in the word of God. Because the truths found in the word will hold us strong when the world around us is shaking. So I know when I send you out as missionaries and say, come on, go out there and baptize the world in the teachings of Jesus. Some of us are like, oh gosh, one, not even sure I know all the teachings of Jesus. Two, it's really hard right now. Because the conversation will immediately go to issues of morality usually, hot point trigger ones. Here's what I want to say, gently, lovingly. Hold your ground. If it's, I remember being on, on BBC Radio once, and I was there to talk about something else entirely. The second question out the BBC interviewer's voice was, so what do you think about gay issues? And I wasn't there to talk about that at all, and I wanted to move on to the thing I wanted to talk about. So all I said was, God loves gay people. Now can I talk about what I want to talk about? So you don't have to confront everything every time or feel guilty that you didn't. Let's just go out there and live a life. God loves all of humanity and all of its brokenness. Let's be missionaries to go transform them. Amen. So, where are you going? Well, as soon as you go out that door, your going's begun. Let's go. And it might be big, exciting stories like Belinda or my friend in South Africa. Or it might just be the everyday classroom, client, family, fellow students and work colleagues. Who are your disciples? Why not begin to write them down, name by name, and pray for them? These are the people I'm trying to reach. So you can go, this is, this is how I'm fulfilling the Great Commission at this stage in my life, Jesus. I'm writing down the names, and every interaction I have, I'm going to think of them as a little bit of discipleship instead of just me going about my life. And number three, how are you going to baptize them? Well, we need to be immersed if we're going to immerse them. And then we bring them into places of truth and places of love and places of grace. Amen? Come on, let's stand in God's presence and we'll close in prayer. It's a hot day. The preacher's preached enough. Come on, let's close our eyes and pray. Think of it. Where are you going? Your home, your street, your work, your school. Your mission ground. As you go, make disciples. Maybe this week, take some time, 20 minutes, pad and a pen, journal, or the front of your Bible. and Write some names. And at the top, write, these are my disciples. I'm going to go reach them. You could be 13 years old. In a school class, and you could write three classmates' names down. You say, right, I'm going to start praying for them. And I'm not trying to get them saved. 
I'm just trying to get closer to them so they can meet Jesus in me. And we'll see what happens as we go. I'm not trying to get them to some magical moment. I'm trying to disciple them into an encounter with Jesus. But Jesus is the better disciple. The Holy Spirit's on their case much more than me. How are you going to baptize? Well, hold your ground. Realize that there's going to be days when you are the tension in the room. When everyone else is sweeping one way, you're going to bring that little bit of tension. Christians, society needs tension right now. If we give in to the waves of ridiculous thinking, spinning through the world right now, you could lose a generation or two. As you leave this place, maybe your greatest act of worship will be to walk out this room saying, God, I'm willing to bring tension to the world with the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm willing to bring loving, grace-filled, wise and skilled tension, but still tension nonetheless. I'm willing to kindly and quietly say, I don't quite agree, and here's why. God, grace us to bring tension in the world, we pray. We pray for the two billion Christians around the world right now. I pray that that third of the world, or is it quarter of the world these days, Lord, that we would take our place of bringing tension in the world, of bringing Jesus to the world. We read the Gospels and it's so clear that you had no problem with bringing tension to the workplace and to the public place. So, Father God, help us to do it skillfully, graciously, kindly, with a view not to make enemies, but to win friends. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.